If you have your Bible, go and turn with me this morning to the Gospel of John. In the Gospel of John. Let me get my... Chapter 17. John chapter 17 this morning. It's uh, good to have Hilda back with us this morning. I know... uh, uh, you wanted to be back as well, but uh, as we have several that are understanding uh, right now that uh, surgery is easier said than experienced, and sometimes it takes a little while to, uh, even when things are going right, to be able to uh, get back to mobility, doing the things that uh, that you enjoy doing, but it is uh, good to have you here with us um, Back in the physical presence of, of us. Well, we're in John chapter 18 this morning, uh, looking at a, a pretty familiar uh, passage of uh, Scripture, but one I think that uh, has some, some great uh, consequences, but as well as great um, encouragement and hope for us as believers as we look at Jesus being betrayed by a kiss by a kiss. You know, gardens are important. I know around here, a lot of times we kind of look at, at gardens as um, as a hobby. Well, we have several in the church that enjoy gardening and uh, going to the uh, you know to the southern states or to Lowe's and to get the the seeds of if cropped or uh, maybe corn and some uh, tomato plants and some vegetables and to water them and to see them grow and. Uh, on a hot summer day, there's nothing quite good, uh, better than a than a good old BLT and a, and a glass of tea or lemonade. Uh, but if you think about it, gardens are really important for life and and for survival. Uh, in the uh, in uh, we have crops, we have fields, we have now it's become kind of industrialized, but that's how we eat. You know, I mean. Um, as a kid, you know, I would, we'd go to the grocery store and, you know, Kroger doesn't make all of the food. No, they buy it from farmers who grow it in their gardens, that we would call. In fact, in, in, in England, they, the garden is what they call their yards. When I say, how's your yard? And I'm like, what, what garden? And it's like, that's what do you, you grow in your front? No, but, but there, it's, the garden is the green space. It's where uh, the kids would go and, and, and play and, and grow up. It, but as we kind of look even at a larger level, gardens really is where it all began. No, it was in the, the Garden of Eden where, where God had created Adam and Eve to care for the creation. It was also in the garden where, where the, the created rebelled against their creator. You know, it was in the garden where tempted by the serpent to distrust God that Adam and Eve chose to eat of that forbidden fruit, betray their creator. But this morning in our passage, we're going to look at a, a different garden. So if you would read with me John chapter 18, verses 1 through 11. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for 
Jesus often met there with his disciples. And so Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would have happened to, to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Well, Jesus said to him, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. And when Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, who do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that, that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? May God bless the reading of his holy word. We think of a garden. Usually it brings thoughts of, of pleasantness. It thinks of, of happiness. In fact, there's an artistic rendering of, of the Garden of Eden. It's beautiful because it is, it is paradise. But thousands of years after the Garden of Eden, there was another garden where we would see another betrayal. Much like Adam and Eve's distrust of God, Judas Iscariot distrusted the Son of God, Jesus. See, Judas wanted a king that would overthrow the oppressive Romans and bring Israel back to, to its days of glory when King David was on the throne. And so as... Jesus and, and the 11 remaining disciples, they, they, they left the upper room. They, they were walking through the streets where, that were bustling with the, the pilgrims who had, had come to celebrate Passover, remembering when God had delivered them from the angel of death. Now, Jesus knew that his own death was hours away. So can you imagine he wasn't really in a festive mood. <laughs> so what does he do? He slips through the city a gate, finding himself in what's called the Brook Kidron. And here is a map of, of, uh, of ancient Jerusalem at the time where Jesus would be. Now we don't know exactly where the, the upper room would, would be. We can assume somewhere in, the, in the, the city. Oh, let me go back and get my pen here. Uh, probably somewhere in this vicinity. So we have the Temple Mount up here, the large section right here. And then you see this area right through here. This is the Kidron Valley, or the Brook Kidron. Now, sometimes it would be full of water during the rainy season, but much of the time it was, it was uh, dry. On the other side, you see these trees. This is the Mount of olives. And so Jesus, they, they're leaving, they're winding their ways, coming through one of, the, one of the gates here, probably the southern part of the city. 
escaping through the, the brook Kidron, which is interesting. The name means dusky or gloomy. Because what would happen is as the sacrifices would take place up in the, up in the temple, the blood from the animals would run down into this brook, mixing with the water, creating a, uh, just a nasty stench. The water was stained with blood flowing down as countless animals were sacrificed for the sins of God's people. But at this time, in less than 24 hours, there would be another fountain that was filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. But the Kidron Valley also had had another significant centuries prior, for it was Jesus' earthly ancestor, King David, was being hunted by his own son, Absalom. (laughs) An act of betrayal I couldn't imagine. To have your own son trying to kill you. It was on the other side of the brook Kidron, in the Garden of Gethsemane, where the greatest betrayal would ever occur by a disciple that Jesus treated like a son. With an army of men, Absalom was, was searching for his father David when the mule that he was, 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 was riding went under an oak tree and Absalom's head was caught on the branches until he suffocated to death. In the same manner, feeling the guilt of betrayal, Judas found himself hanging from a tree. In anguish, King David uh, cried out. He said, oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, why would I had died instead of you? Oh, Absalom, my son. Then in the Mount of Olives, Luke tells us this. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, meaning Jesus, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. (laughs) With the weight of all humanity there on his shoulders, Jesus knew what he had to do. It was the Garden of Eden was created as paradise, free from sin and death, but because of the disobedience of our first parents, death plagues us all. But it's in the Garden of Gethsemane where a, a sinful kiss would inaugurate the restoration of God's creation. So Jesus leaves his eight disciples at the entrance of of the garden while inviting his closest companions, Peter, James, and and John, to accompany him into the inner part of the garden to pray. Now, if there was ever a time for prayer warriors, this was it. Yet this dream team was caught dreaming as they couldn't stay awake when Jesus needed them the most. Now, look, it's easy for us to, you know, to ridicule these disciples. I mean, but before we do that, how often are we sleepy in our faith? Now, one tendency is to, to kind of justify the actions of the disciples. Well, I mean, can you imagine everything that they've gone through? 
I think the, the, the emotional and mental toll that hearing Jesus is, is about to die and to leave them, and that took on them the, the, how fatigued that they were, the grind of three years of ministry. They left everything, and look, that was a lot for Jesus to ask of them. And look, I mean, someone that you've seen on Instagram, I mean, I can fall asleep standing up. Might say, what's wrong with that? Well, I don't think we can justify their actions, for they disobeyed God. But at the same time, we shouldn't condemn them either. You know, we may not fall asleep while we're praying or in the act, but honestly, I think sometimes we live as though we are asleep, oblivious to our, our, our faith. We just kind of go through the, the, the motions and, and not seeing the, the genuineness of our lives transformed by, by Christ. It's often been said that if, how would your life be different if Jesus weren't a part of it? Think about that. I mean, it, because when we see baptism, as we saw earlier, it is a, a picture, a visualization of being dead in our sins, being buried, burying our sin, being raised in the newness of Christ. And what does that mean? That means that we are like Christ. No, we're not free from sin. But it means that we live, our allegiance changes, our purpose changes. We seek to live for Christ. The Bible tells us to live is Christ. To die is gain. This passage, we often think of the betrayal being Judas kissing Jesus, and it absolutely was. But what we see here, these disciples... They betrayed Jesus by not praying with them on that night. Now, John, the Gospel of John doesn't focus on Jesus' prayer here in the garden as the other Gospel writers do. Now, instead, it's a little different. See, see John here is, is, is our tour guide into the unfolding events on that dark night 2,000 years ago. Judas knew where to find Jesus. You know, he had left the upper room and he had scurried off to the, the chief priest where he had signed his, his bounty contract to re receive his blood money. Now, Scripture doesn't tell us where that Jesus told Judas where he would be. Did the chief priest, did they you know, have covert agents that were, were, were following Jesus around? I mean, maybe. They wanted him. <laughs> But look here at, at verse 2. It said, Now Judas, who was betray him, also knew the place. Why? For Jesus often met there with the disciples. Judas knew that Jesus would go to a place that he often would go. A place where he would find peace and, and quiet, overlooking the, the city of Jerusalem. It was a place that he had gone many times before. But uh, although Judas did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah, he too had seen Jesus' power, the power to heal people and, and to bring them back to life. You know, I, I wonder if Judas thought, maybe 
if he can speak someone back to life, I wonder if he can speak me to death. In their war room, Judas was there along with the chief priests, the Pharisees, the Roman soldiers, and they were developing their, their battle plan. How were they going to capture this fugitive? And they were ready for, for anything. Look here at verse, verse 3. It says, so Jesus, or for Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, they went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Is anybody like me, as you're reading this, you're, you're kind of picturing Gaston and Beauty and the Beast, and ordering to, to, to win Bell's heart. What does he do? He, he, they're in the tavern. He gathers his buddies together with torches and pitchforks, and so he, they go to kill the beast. But that's not what happened here. This wasn't a, a spur-of-the-moment kind of thing. This was a military operation. Well, the Romans didn't care anything about Jesus, but they wanted to exert their authority, their power to keep the peace. Now, the chief priests and the Pharisees, they, 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 they made a convincing case to, that Jesus needed to go, that he disrupted the unity that the, that the Romans saw. It. And, and in verse 3, it says that, there, so Judas procured a band of soldiers. Different translations use different words here for this, this band. You might see cohort, or, but, but in studying, looking at uh, kind of the military definitions of the Romans, we're not talking about a few friends that, that, that Judas or the chief priest gathered to, to go uh, to find Jesus. Now, this one man they were seeking we're looking somewhere around 200 or more soldiers went to gather Jesus. They went in with, with a shock and awe. Now, I imagine that seems like an awful lot in order to, to, to get one person who posed no real threat. But when Paul was in prison being transferred, history tells us that they had almost 500 Roman soldiers accompany him. Can you imagine? Maybe we think, how crazy is that? 500 Romans didn't mess around. I can imagine that while they were uneasy, the chief priests and the Pharisees here, they're now you're like kind of feeling good about ourselves. This Jesus, we haven't been able to catch him as we, we were wanted, but now we've, we've got the Romans on our side. And they're going to do whatever we want. Not only did they have their, their own soldiers, it says they had their, you know, some officers. But they had around 200 or so Roman soldiers. But what's interesting is, you know, on the other side of us reading this story year after year for, for our lives, we, we know that they didn't have to worry about some type of, of Jim Jones incident. For Jesus knew what was to happen. In fact, he was in control the entire time, for it was God who put this plan into action. Why? Because Jesus came to die. Now, you know what's 
absent from much of this passage is the disciples. Now, they were there. We know from the other gospel authors, but here in this passage, Peter is the only one other than the betrayer Judas that's mentioned, and we'll get to him in a moment, but but wouldn't you think that the other eight disciples should be there to protect their master? I mean, if nothing else, to say, look, Jesus, I know it's about to, we're with you. We're all in this together. We don't see that. No, in fact, we, we see where usually the, it's the, the lower rank protects the other rank. We, we see the opposite happen here. Look at verse 4. Jesus, knowing all that would happen, came forward when he was asked, and he said, Whom do you seek? Now, it's an odd question to, to ask. For Everybody in the garden that night knew that they were looking for Jesus. I mean, it's not like they, they had to have a lineup with Jesus and all of the other disciples, all right? So which one of you is, is Jesus? Will, it, will Jesus please stand up? No. They knew Jesus. Jesus replies with three little words. I am he. This is far more than Jesus, just given his name, rank, and serial number. Oh, Jesus is showing them that He is the all-powerful God. For when Moses asked God, Who shall I tell them that that has sent me? God said, Tell them that I am sent to you. (laughs) Look what happens here in verse 6. Looks like I got it out of order. That's right. Verse 6, it said, I am He. And when He said this, they drew back and fell to the ground. Three words, no more than two words in a, or two letters in each word. When he said those words, they drew back and they fell to the ground. Friends, there's power in the name of Jesus. I mean, these are grown men, soldiers, the, the chief priests, the Pharisees, even Judas, for he was on their side. They all fell down when they heard the name of Jesus, the God man. Uh, it's not like, you know, the, the first soldier there with all the armor on, he, he kind of tripped and fell, and he had this domino effect knocking over 200-plus soldiers, as some have tried to make that claim. <laughs> no, what happened is, as a great reformer, Martin Luther penned in his powerful hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. No, it was one little word shall fell them. <laughs> as they're all getting up that evening, wondering how in the world did everybody fall. They stand up and they ask him again, whom do you seek? Jesus, and they said, we want Jesus. And Jesus, being the great shepherd, did what good shepherds do. He said, look, it's me that you want. Let these other men go, meaning the disciples. Why did this happen? It was to fulfill the scriptures, right? Jesus lost not one. Now, 
we know they were speaking of that moment for later on all of the apostles minus John would give their lives for Christ. But we don't end just there. They kind of being given a reprieve the disciples could leave, but there's the one lone disciple, Peter, and we often see the ups and the downs of, of Simon Peter, but as we see with Peter, he takes out the sword that he's got, more like a, a, a dagger concealed carry weapon, and he, and he tries to kill the slave of the chief priest, Malchus. I don't know if Malchus moved or Peter was just a bad aim, but ended up chopping off the ear of this, of this servant. And as Jesus rebukes him for it, now, we might think, well, well, Peter's, they're protecting. He's doing what the other disciples didn't do. But Peter, in his zealousness, in his action, went against what God called him to do. All right? He went against what God called him to do. So Jesus heals the ear of this, of this slave, and then he says, put your sword into the sheath. This is key right here. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? When we think of Jesus, we see more than the perfect example of how we are to live. Yes, we are to live like he did. But none of us could ever do what he did. For Jesus' purpose was to accept the kiss of Judas Iscariot, to be bound in chains, to be beaten beyond recognition, and to be hung on on a cross. Because it's only through His sacrifice that we may find forgiveness for our sins. As it says, Jesus says, I came to drink the cup that the Father has given me. The cup of His blood. Not just the Blood, but the wrath of, of God. For Scripture tells us that the Father for a time turned His face away from His Son. Not because of Him, but because of our sins. But the good news of the Gospel is, is that through Jesus' obedience, we can find life. Just as we saw in these baptismal waters earlier, the her dying to ourselves, raised as a new creation to live for Christ. And it only comes through the breaking of his body, the blood of Christ. <sighs> 